Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 4 as we close out this series on Supreme. And I am titling this last one just finally. In other words, these are, oh, thank you for that. Oh, man, I almost missed it again. There is junior church that is going on right now. You can be dismissed. Um, our youth pastor, Cletus Jones, will be leading that time in the back. Um, for those in um, middle school age, you are free to go back at this particular time. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> We are naming this finally because, because Paul gives kind of these final wrap-up instructions, and then he gives some final greetings. But these are all in the context of people who are choosing to live under the supremacy of Christ. And it's just finally what he has to say. And I'm going to do this finally for those who desire to live under Christ's supremacy, here are some finally things. People that are wanting to live under the supremacy of Christ, finally, they know the critical nature of prayer. That's the first thing we'll look at. Second one, they are wise in how they interact with the world. They are wise in how they interact with the world. Three, they are rightly involved people with God's church. They are rightly involved people. And then lastly, it's just one line there, I know, but you have to see this. They, they are people that avoid the dangers of desertion. They avoid it. They avoid being put in that position. We've already prayed earlier. Let's jump in to the word. <clears throat> Last week, <clears throat> you heard as, um, as Elder Wright gave how those who live supreme, how it works out in your family life and in your work life, in your everyday life. Last week, just real quick, I was doing a retreat for Crew College campus ministry. They had a fall retreat, which pulled in students, about 125, 150 students from um, Butler, University of Indianapolis, and IUPUI. And it was just a great time in the Word um, as we taught them. But one in particular um, was a young brother now, but a young man who came up to me after the second session on Saturday morning with questions. And he started off by saying, I'm a, a Muslim. I have some questions. And my, I, my question in my mind was, how did you get here at this Christian retreat event for college students? He was a Muslim college student or a college student who's Muslim. And um, we talked some. I asked more questions than was able to answer. I mean, then we answered. And he said that in his testimony that he gave later, um, I mean, earlier this week, 
But I could see that there was a struggle that was happening in him and that he was, he had heard the gospel. He had come through one of the campuses. I'm not going to say when because he is trying to move in this space wisely as there's a family attached to this brother um, because what ended up happening is one of the staff wrote me on Sunday evening. I left this Sunday afternoon and said, one of his friends said that he has professed faith in Christ and has, he said that, that Jesus is my Savior and that he shared his testimony at their meeting this week. I'm not saying which campus and where, but they will eventually, and I'm going to try and connect with him because uh, he mentioned our time together and how we talked. And one of the things that the Lord led me to say to him, which, guys, I want you to understand this, because I could see the struggle. He actually told one of, the, one of the students there over the weekend, there's a civil war going on in my heart. And as I spoke with folk that work with Muslim, they said that is a very good and accurate assessment, because they're grappling with what they've learned and what they're hearing from the faith. And so he was, <clears throat> and I looked at him, and I just really felt led to tell him, I said, look, brother, I said, the Lord, I said, I am praying that the true and living God reveal himself to you this weekend, because I know you are seeking it, I know you are looking for Christ, and let me tell you, he will answer. And in his testimony, he says, Pastor Curtis because I can't kid y'all to call me Pastor Curtis. No, y'all, y'all still can't, not Pastor Curtis. But they would. He, so he said, Pastor Curtis. Um, <clears throat> he said, said to me, the living God will reveal himself. And he said, actually, I didn't believe it. And then he talked about some things that happened over the weekend. And he said, the living God did. And he said, and I am a believer in Christ. I, that just blew my mind. Because I was just like, y'all, this, this thing is real. This is not just something we do on Sundays. <clears throat> this is not just something that our parents handed down to us and we are making our kids do. This is real life in Christ. And after the holidays, I look forward to getting with him and sitting down and, and just talking to give him some direction and some leading. And he has that movement. But I also told them that young man needs a church. And he needs a family supporting him because I have no idea what his family that he lives with will do once they get the news. And so Paul talks about for us, those who will live under the supremacy of Christ, first thing that they do is that they will know the proper practice or the critical nature of prayer. Verse 2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. First thing he says, look, is I know for us, prayer is that thing that we can get easily distracted from is that thing that we get easily weary over, and it is usually the thing that goes when we get busy. And that is because I don't believe we see the critical nature. 
I know all of you can't make it, and I have not even made our prayer time at noon, which is by Zoom. But I know when Elder Jerry Lander leads that one, there are just a few. And that, that, that time is so critical. Why? Because he tells us, and he says it also in Ephesians, and he says it also in Thessalonians. He says it in his letters over and over, the necessity of prayer. Why? Number one, it postures you in the right position before God. You must humble yourself, your attitude, your way of thinking, and your mind in order to engage with God rightly when you pray. Because it's not just a requesting of God. God is not just your heavenly genie. Father, I'm coming rubbing the Bible. I'm coming quoting a few scriptures, and I'm looking for you to do it. And for God to rubber stamp my lifestyle. It's not how it works. Instead, what he says for us is that we are praying through what he's already stated, what he desires for us, and how we need to move our minds and our hearts in his direction. So he says to pray. How often do you? And what is the content of your prayers? See, he says that this prayer should involve certain things. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. There are several things in that verse. We can just end on that. We're not. We can end on that. But he says, prayer must be one that you are steadfast in. In other words, you must be intentional in pushing forward even when you don't feel like it. That's the, that's the picture steadfast has in mind. You, it should be something that is regular, that you are pushing forward in, that you are leaning into intentionally, and there are some times you've got to know you are not going to want to do it. Many of you have commented on the size change. I, I, I'll just tell you right now, I, in, in my steadfastness, in my healthy eating and my working out, I've dropped four sizes and slimmed down to where I am at my high school size, uh, 40 plus years out of high school. Now, why? Uh, again, not to impress, because no, it's not. Let me tell you, many of those days, especially as winter sent in, I had to be steadfast because my mind was like, you are out of your mind, dude. Do you know how old you are? You know you like them kind of foods. You know you don't want to do that. Get up and go to the gym before you go into the office. Are you nuts? And sometimes I listened, but more times I didn't. Steadfast, And I thought, if I can be steadfast in physically bettering and helping myself, how much more, man, can I be steadfast in prayer? Well, if I don't see a value in it, I'm not going to do it. And for many of us, we don't see a value in it. Why do I pray? God says, because you are coming to the one who desires you to be a certain way, live a certain way, give 
act, grow up, serve. And when you pray, you commit your way to the Lord's way. You don't come with an agenda saying, God, here's what I want you to do. Check back with me when you're ready to do it. Because for many of us, that's our prayer lives. I come with a list. And I'm mad if God doesn't do it. Really, Lord? I asked you three times and you still haven't done it. Man, and I go, I'm so glad God is a God of grace and mercy. Because if I went to my mother like that, I asked you three times and you ain't done it yet. Y'all will still see the fingerprints on my face all these years later. See, it's that level of disrespect for God. It is that level of valuelessness that we have for God and for prayer that causes us to be easily distracted from it. He says, be steadfast in it. And then he says, and be watchful in it. What am I watching for yourself? Watching at your world, watching at your life, watching people around you, and based on what you see, you pray. Our nation responded again to another instant with the jury, with the jury verdict that just came down. And I want to ask you, how many of y'all went into prayer over that as you felt feelings rising one way or another? How many of you sat before the Lord and began to inquire and to talk to him about what you see happening in the world? As you are watching, he says, that should lead to you praying. What are you watching for? What are you praying for? And that's what keeps you. He says, you're watching your heart. You know those feelings that may be coming up of anger, of bitterness, of, and you fill in all the blanks of the ofs that come up as we go through life. And he says, as you see it, as you see yourself, boy, he says, you better start talking to the Lord because prayer number one humbles you because you say, God, I can't do it. I'm coming to you because I know you can Or do we only come when we're in trouble and we need them? Let me ask you, y'all. You have friends like that. You have family members like that. The only time they come to you is when they want something. How happy are you to see them? Here they come again. They must want something. And you almost want to say to them when they show up, what you want? What you want? Because that's the only time you see them. What if God did that? Man, what if God did that? What you want? because I know you want something. That's the only time I see you. What the Lord is saying is posture and position your heart and your life to where you are a person of prayer. And it says steadfastly, that's intentionally pushing forward. Watching you pray based on what you see that's happening around you, filtering it through God's word with thanksgiving because he says, if you always come and you angry, mouth twisted and mad, you have, the, you have an improper posture. 
He says, with thankfulness. God, I'm coming to you thanking you not that I'm hurting, but I'm thanking you that I know I'm coming to the one who will do what needs to be done in what I'm praying for and about. And sometimes you just come because you're just excited to be able to come before God. One of the questions I asked the young man when he was talking about um, eternity, and he, um, he talked about the need to do works because then, based on your works, God will look at your life and will grant mercy. I said, but I said, so what if I don't do anything? He said, then, you, no, no. I said, oh, so this all falls on you then. He said, no, no, no. He says, God's mercy and his, and his grace. I asked him a question about that later, but I said, but what if I don't do anything? He's like, well, then you don't deserve anything. Ah, so once again, it falls on me. See, I don't do what I do in Christ to get God's approval. I do what I do in Christ because I'm approved because of Christ. See, so I don't come to church for God to say, oh, you've been good this week. I got you. I got you. Now I'm going to help you out. Oh, you prayed this week? Now I'm going to help you out. God says, no, you're my child. And so I go, I'm a child. My kids don't come to me to prove that I should love them. They come to me because they know I do. They ask because of that relationship. They ask because they're part of the family. They ask because they're approved. Now, it doesn't mean that you do unapproved things, but God says, demonstrate in your lifestyle that you are an approved child of mine. Not, don't work for my approval. And one of the things that mesmerized him, the other question I asked, he couldn't answer. I said, well, on what basis do you come to a holy God? I'm asking for forgiveness and expecting to get it. I said, on what basis? How do you even stand before him? without being obliterated as being sinful. I can't. I have no right to stand before God without Christ. People of prayer. Then we are also people that are wise to the world. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I can tell there are too many of us that are not people of prayer and that seek to, to live daily in God's wisdom because of the way that we deal with and handle outsiders. I just had to tell them what I thought. I just had to give them a piece of me. Nah, I don't play that. Hmm. Wow. God says, walk, that means live daily in wisdom with outsiders, making sure that your speech, listen to this, you're not saying what they want you to hear, but you're putting truth in such a way that they are able to swallow it. And if they choose not to, it's because they're just flat out wanting to reject it. And they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting God. He says to them that your speech should be put in a way that whole season with salt is the wit and, and, and it is the thought that goes into how you package what you say and how you live around those that don't know Christ. 
They should be attracted to your lifestyle, even if they reject the Christ that you serve. I'll never forget the person that said to me when, I mean, that I, uh, <clears throat> that I actually heard, well-known um, pastor now, but at the time he wasn't, he was going through school and was working on the job, and he said, I was a, I was a piece of work, and he said that how the guy I had been sharing Christ, but I was pretty annoying, and the guy had been sharing Christ, he said, I had been sharing Christ with him, and the guy said to him, he said, man, I really hear and believe what you say. And he said, this is what corrected him. He said, but I can't be a Christian right now because I can't stand you. I was like, whoa. And he said that just flooring him. He said, I, I, I just hate being around you. And it had nothing to do with the holiness versus evil. He was like, you as a person are just intolerable. I was like, he, he was like, man, that, he said, that cut, it, it would have, everything would have been on the floor if someone actually said that to me. I was like, man, I'm the hindrance. Don't be the hindrance. If people stumble, let it be over the gospel. Let it be over the words of God, not over your lifestyle, not over how you're living, how you're talking. Man, he says, walk in wisdom. That means live daily, wisely, watching your speech. Watch what you say. People say, dude, I need to walk on eggshells. No, you need to walk in the Word of God. You don't need to walk on eggshells. I can't speak my mind? Probably not, because if it's your mind, it's probably evil. If it's the mind of Christ, go on and speak it. We got too many of us speaking our mind, and the Lord is telling us that you are to have the mind of Christ. You get my mind. I'm just like, y'all, all y'all may just walk out of here. You get my mind, because this thing can be warped at times. When I'm in my own thoughts, I'll be like, ooh, Lord, grab that, please. Grab that. That is not you. And so he tells us, look, walk in wisdom. Let your speech always be. This is what I said. Let your speech always be. And here's what we say. Just go on and always just tell them the truth. Tell them the truth. Yes, you should be communicating truth. But we hear over and over in Scripture that your speech should be gracious. That's the context for however you share, whatever you share. Even the truth, even when the truth is cutting. I'll never forget the time that my mother actually, and she was the master of graciously cutting you. I, you didn't even know you were bleeding. Everything just laying on the floor, and, and you just standing there because she would say it so gently and so nicely. And she told someone one time that wasn't dealing with someone properly. I was there at the time. She looked at him and said, no, I know you did not mean that. I know you love him and you would never do that to them. And we looked at one another and was like, dang, they just got cut and don't even know it. And that person ended up changing their behavior at that moment. Why? Because the speech was gracious with the truth that came. 
And for some of us right now, God is saying, yeah, y'all are just ready to, you are, you, are, you are loaded for bear with the truth rifle. And God says, administer that truth in a gracious way, son, daughter, so that when they get it, they know how to receive it. And if they choose to reject it, it isn't because they haven't heard it, they haven't heard it graciously, they haven't heard it prayerfully, it's just because they don't want it. And it's all on them at that point. And so, not only is that person wise with the world and how they handle them, these, these last parts are, they are rightly involved. And I want to say these are examples of what we've just seen throughout Colossians. I know most times when we get to the final greetings, most of us probably haven't even read them. When we get to final greetings, we say, oh, I finished the book. Because we don't read the final greetings. But isn't that part of the word of God? Didn't God put that in there for a reason? Yes, I know it was a letter, but he didn't cut the letter off after the instruction finished. Because in those final greetings, you find instruction. You are getting examples of people, except one. You are getting examples of people that are living out, living under the supremacy of Christ. Let's go to the first one, Tychius, if that's how they say his name. I'm saying it like that. Tychius will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I, I, when people talk about me, if this is how they introduce or refer to me, I'm cool. You don't have to say anything about what I do. You know, he's a pastor and he and he's and he's um, and he's taught for years and he's been over. I don't care about all that. If someone says this, I'm good. Because look at what he says. Now, Tychius is the one who carried the letter, not only this one, but the letter to the Ephesians as well. And it's believed he also carried the letter to Philemon because of the next person that they mentioned. But Tychius, when he says, look, he's going to tell you all about how things are going with me because I know you're worried about me. Here's what I love about Paul, too. He's like, I'm not in this show by myself. I know y'all all got attention on me, but let me tell you about some of these good brothers and sisters with me. People who walk under the supremacy of Christ aren't full of themselves, always talking about you and you only. When you were around Paul, Paul talked about the team that worked with him. He knew everyone talked about him all the time, but he was like, let me tell you about my team. These are some good folk. Let me tell you, that's why I do that with our leaders. These are some good folk. I know most of y'all will see this dude up here on Sundays most time and sometimes Elder Wright. But let me tell you about our team. Let me tell you about some faithful brothers that are serving here and some faithful sisters that are serving here and are living this thing out daily. Let me promote them so that you see that this gospel is really being lived out among all. And so he says here, he says, Tychius is beloved, which means he's in the faith, faithful minister, doing what God has called him to do faithfully. 
And most of y'all don't even hear about him, especially if you haven't read the final greetings. Some of y'all are going, oh, I didn't know that guy was there. He says, and fellow servant in the Lord, which I love that Paul puts himself in the proper place. I know y'all see me as big time Paul, but he's a servant just like I am. These are people. And he said, listen, when he comes, he says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And so he says, these, these people will be an encouragement when they show up, not an eye roller. They come in the room and you're like, here they come, Lord. Because we got some people like that. They walk in the door and folk just start rolling the eyes. Not good. <laughs> not good at all. And there is some truth in that eye roll, y'all. And God is telling us that as we allow our lives to be under the supremacy of Christ, people will begin to refer to us like this, even if we don't have grand positions. He says, and with him, Onesimus, our faithful brother, I mean, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you? They will tell you everything that has taken place here. Onesimus, for those of you who may not remember, is the subject of the book of Philemon. Onesimus was the indentured servant, the slave, not the American-type slavery. He was the one who was, when you're in so much debt you can't pay it, you are indebted to the one who buys out your debt. And you stay there working until you pay off the debt. And so his master, Philemon, is a believer. And Onesimus just must have gotten tired of being there. He was like, I'm out, and he ran away. And in his running away, he meets Paul during his time of imprisonment in Rome, which is when he writes these letters. And what he actually does in his interactions with Paul, Onesimus comes to Christ. And Paul tells Onesimus, you got to go back, homie. Some of us get mad because he's like, he told him to go back to be a slave. Not the American slavery kind. He tells him to go back because you owe the debt that you are stealing from this man who is now your brother. So he writes to Philemon the letter, who Philemon is a Colossian. He is a person that belongs. He lives in that region. That's why he says Onesimus is one of you because he belongs to that house. And he writes to Philemon and says, listen now, he's coming back. I'm sending him, but he's coming back as your brother. So now you need to know how to treat him, that although he is under you, although he owes you financially and, uh, and he owes you work, he is your brother, so you better treat him as such. That's a message for all of us that have believers working with and under us. God says, I see him as your brother before I see him as your employee. And so that's what he says to him here. He says, Onesimus, also faithful brother. Well, hold on a second. He's a runaway slave. Faithful brother. Because now he's coming back. Because for some of us, I came to Christ, but I ain't going back there, Lord. And God says, if you follow in me, you will. I'm not admitting to that wrong. I'm not facing up to that thing that I've done. I'm just going on and just say, the Lord forgave me. God said, no, you go back and deal with your wrong. 
And Onesimus was coming back, and he was telling them he's one of y'all, and he's faithful. And look, y'all treat him as such. He's beloved, and he's a blessing. What? No, that's the dude. He's beloved, and he's a blessing. God is saying, get the right picture. And for some of us, we can't see past people's sin as if God didn't see past ours. And then he goes on down with some of the other people. I want you to just remember, he says, Aristarchus and Mark. This is the first and only time that you see and you know. This is how we know that Mark and Barnabas were related. Because he says in Mark, Barnabas is cousin. He says, uh, you, I mean, concerning whom you have received instructions, he's already given them some instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Because remember, Mark, once again, God is a God of second chances, deserted the team when it got really hard and he didn't want to go up with them to another city. And he told Paul, and, and Bob, I'm out, y'all. This is too hard. And Paul got mad to be like, bro, you ain't, you ain't good enough to be here. So he wanted to come back and he was like, nah, mm-mm. And the scripture says him and Barnabas had it out. Spiritual people, both of them had it out. And guess what? Barnabas said, bet, no problem. I'll take him with me. He's my cousin anyway and my brother. And so he took his cousin and went. And Barnabas said, I'm going to work on his character. He did. Why? Because when you see in Timothy, Paul ends up saying, have Mark come to me because he is useful. Wait a minute. And I thought he wasn't worthy to go. He said, no, that was then. This is now. The man grew up. And I'm not basing that based on what, I'm not basing it on what's happened. I'm basing it on where he has come. And so Mark is that believer who has gone through some stuff, made some bad decisions, and made the right turn to come back, and now is useful in the kingdom. And that's some of us. I love that, man. He says, some of y'all have messed up, but you've owned up to it. And you are on the road back. And God says, you are faithful. You are useful. Come on. I'm not going to spend the time on the others. Two more on one. Epaphras, we heard about him. He said, verse 12, Epaphras, who was one of you, a servant of Christ, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his, look at this, prayers. You just encourage them to take prayer seriously, and he gives you an example of one. Epaphras was one that they held in high regard. They hadn't even met Paul, but they knew Epaphras. And this brother actually had more cred in everyday life with the Colossians than Paul had because they never met him. So much so that he even got sick and almost died and they were worried about him and God spared them. But he says, look, this man struggles for you in prayer daily. Let me help you out. If you ever have anyone in your life that is known to be a struggler in prayer for you, you better treat them like gold. He said he stands on watch for your very life in Christ and your growth. And listen to what he says about him. He says, struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. 
For I bear witness, I mean, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. This man was giving of himself regularly in both prayer and in both in both prayer and discipleship, making sure believers grew up in Christ. That's what you want your churches to be filled with. People like that, men and women, struggling in prayer, wanting you to grow up. And then there is Luke. And we know Luke, the doctor who used that great skill that the Lord gave him to give us two books in the Bible. Of course, the Gospel of Luke, which gives us the most detail of any of the Gospel books. And then Acts, which gives us the beginning of the church. He was a researcher. He was a detail-oriented guy, and he used it for the Lord. You get some great stuff through Luke. This was, this, this was Paul's team. And then he mentions one, and we'll get to him in a moment, but these are the people, he says, they all greet you. And then the last part is, not only are they right rightly involved people, they are people that avoid the dangers of desertion. Let me round this out, first of all, the last point. Um, in his Give My Greetings, verse 15, to Nympha and the church in her house. That's a small greeting. But this sister says, I'm opening up my home. And when you did that, do you realize you made yourself a target? Because Christians weren't all well-liked. And if that was a place, that was a house church where people gathered, guess what? She was like, it doesn't matter. I'm opening up my house. It was a church that met there in her home, utilizing her resource into her space and putting them at risk, and it didn't matter to her. But then there was, he says, Luke, the beloved physician, physician greets you, as does Demas. And then it says, and when this letter, verse 16, has been read among you, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And I love this. And he says, and say to Archippus, hey, hey, when you see Archippus, tell him, yo, fulfill the ministry that you know you got, man. You know, hold him accountable. I love it. He knows what he needs to do. When y'all see him, he says, say. I love this. He says, say. It's quote. Tell him. That's like someone saying, yo, Paul told me to tell you, make sure you do that which you know you should be doing, man. I love that. He said, he said tell him, say, fulfill the ministry that you have. And he just put him on blast because he's like, everybody going to hold that brother accountable for all time in history. I was like, you got put... Look, you got highlighted in Scripture. Do your job. But there's some of us right now that the Lord is saying to some of us, look, tell that dude, hey, for faith, faithfully fulfill your ministry. But then lastly, this one, which I say, he says, and does Demas. And he mentions him again. Another text, and he says, Demas greets you in the book of Philemon. 
But turn with me real quick to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 9 and 10. Demas is always just mentioned as being with the group. There is never anything about him that's given, about his faithfulness, about his work. He's always just mentioned with the group. Demas is always there, and that's all's recorded about him, except in this one instance. And I wonder what was going on with Demas while he was just there. He says, verse 9, do your best to come to me soon, for Demas in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. The only time this brother is mentioned is when he has walked away from the work. That stood out to me as I was reading this. Because he was greeted, but only he was there. Demas is here, y'all. Philemon, Demas is here. And for some of us, yeah, they were there. Can't say much about them, but they were there. Until he says this world got too attractive. The pressure got too great. The suffering was too hard. The opposition was too much. The sacrifice, mm, I'm out, man. I'm out. Why am I out? Because what was in front of me seemed more attractive than Christ himself. You know who else did that? To me, one of the saddest stories in all of Scripture is Judas. Judas walked with physically with Christ for over three. Judas was there for all the miracles. All of them. When Jesus walked on water, Judas was there. When he fed the 5,000, Judas was there. When he cast out the demons from that dude with, with the legion, Judas was there. And then finally, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, Judas was there. But Judas was like, ain't enough, man. Ain't enough. I need some money, y'all. And when he did, when you look at the Scripture, in John, when he describes, when Jesus looks at him and says, friend, no, when he says, do what you must, he says that when he left, it was night. That was both physical description and spiritual description. Because when you leave Jesus, the only place you can walk into is the darkness. That is it. There is no greater light than Christ. And when you walk away from him, everything else is darkness. And Demas he said, in love with this world, in this present world. Just in case you were wondering, he wasn't talking about planet Zatox. He said, in love with this present world, earth, lifestyle, system, all that was going on, left and went to Thessalonica, which was a booming city. He was like, I'm out, guys. I can't take this anymore. And the comment on him is, you really weren't here anyway, bro. Because every time you mention, you just mention as being here. He's here. Which one are you? Are you Tychus, that one who is given? They trusted him so much that they gave him, because uh, he was one that also carried the money from the churches in Asia Minor to the saints in Jerusalem who were suffering 
under the hand of oppression from the Jews then who weren't Christians. And so they were sending them money. So they sent it. And then also they sent him back with money. I mean, I'm sorry, with the letters of the churches. Are you that faithfully trusted brother or sister that they can give something to like that? And boy, they know if it's in your hands, it's good. Are you Onesimus, that person who was coming back? Yeah, I made a bad decision before I knew Christ, but I'm coming back in Christ strong, y'all. I'm coming back strong. That's okay. Or are you Mark? I was a Christian and I blew it as a Christian. But I did what I needed and I'm back. I'm back. Are you Archippus? Hey, hey, make sure you do what you know God gave you to do. You that person that has to be the reminder. Make sure, come on, man, get busy with what you know God's called you to do. Are you Demas? I'm about ready to leave because I ain't with all this. I'm about done. Who are you? And then there's Luke, of course, using all his skills to bless the body. Hey, finally, those who will live according or, or accordingly, rather, under the supremacy of Christ are some bad people, boy. I love reading about them. When I read about these folks, yeah, y'all read about Paul, but when I read about the Tychuses and the Onesimuses, I'm just like, I mean, them churches were tight. They were straight. I'm looking at some of these people that were there, and I was like, wow, man, these folk were killing it because they love God and they love people. Which one are you? Where is God pulling you toward? What is he calling you to do? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you alone are supreme. And as, as we live under the supremacy of Jesus Christ, aligning our lives in the right place, that we realize, Father, how great you are and how great life can be. Not because we get everything we want, because we know that it's hard. We know that there's opposition. But, Father, because we're faithful, Father, we're in you. We are learning more about you every day. We are changing into who Christ is every day. We are being used by you. Father, I pray where we find ourselves, Lord, we we would end up where you want us to be. Father, we would move toward where you are showing us. And, Father, if we feel like we are on the road to being a Demas, I pray that you would grab the heart of that person. Secure it well. Let them see their great need for you. Maybe they've been religious, but they're not in Christ. Elder, I shared that a while ago. They're in religion. They're in church, but they're not in Christ. I pray that that person would come to Christ and be in Christ and then be used by Christ. Father, I pray that as we process this series, that we would find ourselves under your supreme hand according and in, in, in working according to your supreme agenda to realize your supreme outcomes. And we commit this to you in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. 
If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.